This is The Big Electron. I'm Jackie. I'm Adam. I'm Madeline. And I'm Anahita. Thank you for subscribing, and please rate us on iTunes. It depends on the size of the chair. Uh, I'll cheat a little bit. The Big Electron. The Big Electron. So I have cheated very badly, you see. KCOU 88.1 Columbia, welcome to the Big Electron, one hour per week of science. <laughs> My name is Adam. I'm Madeline. I'm Anahita. And we are here to provide you with science. <laughs> so, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're here with a special guest this week. Why don't you introduce yourself, please? Hello, I'm Angela Speck. I am the Director of Astronomy here at MU, and I'm also co-chairing a task force for the total solar eclipse that will happen next year. Task force, that sounds intense. <laughs> Very. So there's a total solar eclipse, you're saying? Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> okay, so um, in 344 days, so less than a year, and yes, I am counting, um, there will be a total solar eclipse visible from the U.S. In fact, it will come right over Columbia. Um, it's the first one to happen on the continental U.S. since 1979. Mm. Uh, it's the first one that you can see all the way across the country since 1918. It's the first one to hit the Missouri since 1869, but wow. that one didn't hit Columbia. The last one in Columbia happened before Christopher Columbus was born. Oh, wow. wow. So we have a really big event coming our way in just under a year. That's right. So... Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, what you have planned for this event and what are some of the things that are, you know, centered around this event? Right. So, like I say, this is the first time we've been able to see an eclipse from the continental U.S. in several decades. And it's also, even if you're not on the path of totality, which mm -hmm. sounds awesome, right? Um, <laughs> and terrifying. Yeah, I was going to say, that's pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, the path of totality is where you can see a total eclipse from. But even if you're not on that path, which is only about 80 miles wide, mm. you can still see a good partial. Um, the further away from the path, the less the sun gets blocked out. But basically, the entire U.S. gets to see a partial. In fact, the entire North America, Greenland, Central America, Northern South America, and the Caribbean all get to see a partial eclipse. That's awesome. Wow. So when you say a partial eclipse, is it always noticeable? Most people would not notice a partial eclipse unless they were looking for it. Gotcha. Um, even with a very small fraction of the sun still showing, the sun is so bright that it might feel a little darker. You know how mm. when it gets stormy and you feel that darkness come in, and mm -hmm. it's, it's clouds in that case, but it, it might feel a little darker like a, a, an early twilight darkness, but you don't get the darkness that you get with a, a full eclipse. And so most people don't really notice unless they're looking. And to look, you have to have uh, safety equipment. Ah, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> Can I just look at it? <laughs> right. So, uh, and, you know, even if you're on the path of totality like we are in Colombia, you mm -hmm. still need the special glasses or a pinhole camera if you're going to look at it um, before it gets to full eclipse. So you can imagine the moon is moving between us and the sun. And as it's moving in the way, you can see a part of the sun missing. Uh, but to, to look at that, if you try to do that without protection, you're going to hurt your eyes. Mm -hmm. You're going to sure. do serious damage to your eyes. Um, and so there are special glasses that right. weren't available the last time we had one of these. So a lot of people who are older, like me, uh, remember that they had to build pinhole cameras, which is pretty easy. Um, but now you can get these eclipse glasses that let you see the sun. And you can use them any day. It doesn't have to be an eclipse. Um, and they take out basically... Um, for every million photons from the sun, only one gets through these glasses. Huh. So it's completely safe for you to look at it, and you can see it properly. Um, and so part of what we're planning for the eclipse, both for Columbia and for everywhere else, is to make sure everybody has access to those glasses. Um, so for all the Mizzou folks, we have Mizzou eclipse glasses that have tiger stripes and everything on them. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. 
So just to, to reemphasize this then, just to make sure I'm perfectly clear, staring at the sun directly is bad. That's right. O always. Always Even bad. during an eclipse. Yes. But... One of the th there's a lot of uh, misconceptions about this. So, yes, it's always bad to look at the sun, whether it's being eclipsed or not. But when it gets to the total phase, that is when the moon is directly in the way and you can't see any of the main part of the sun, it's completely safe. No. You've blocked out the sun, so it's safe. Mm -hmm. um, what you see then, though, is the corona, which is like the extended atmosphere of the sun, mm -hmm. and it's very pretty. It's it's very bright, and you can kind of think of it as being like when you look at when the, the sunlight that we get is kind of like the light from an old-fashioned incandescent light bulb. It's mm -hmm. got all the colors in it, and it looks kind of yellowish, but um, the light that's coming from around it is more like what you get from a fluorescent tube. It looks whitish. It still has colors in it, but not all of them, mm -hmm. um, and it's very very faint, so it's about as bright as a full moon. And so that's why you don't need any sort of protection to look at it. Wow. How long does that last? So it takes about 90 minutes for the moon to move in the way. As, as the moon is, like, taking the first chunk out of the sun and then as it moves across, it takes about 90 minutes. And then how long you get darkness depends on exactly where you're standing. Here in Colombia, we get 2 minutes and 36 seconds of darkness. Hmm. Oh wow. That's a long time. Yeah. And, you know, it really and it gets is. as dark yeah. as a full moon night. So you can think of it as being, it goes from being, you know, with only a little bit of the sun showing, it still feels pretty bright. And then in seconds, it's gone to full moon darkness. Mm -hmm. And you can see stars. Wow. And wow. so oh, I didn't that's think cool. about stars. This has got me psyched about <laughs> uh -huh. this. Uh, well, it's even cooler than that. So what happens is you, you're blocking out the sun, but now, um, you know, like, you know, when the sun uh, sets, it doesn't go dark right away, right? Yeah. It takes a while. And that's because of the atmosphere. The light that hits the atmosphere kind of gets scattered by, by the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And so, and depending on your latitude, that takes more or less time. Mm -hmm. I'm from much further north than here, in case the accent didn't give that away. <laughs> um, and so it takes forever to get dark. Forever. <laughs> and if you go down towards the equator, it gets dark very quick. First time I went to Hawaii observing, I tried to catch a sunset and it was gone. <laughs> Where'd it go? Um, and, but now you've got something that's like almost immediate. It goes from being a little darker than normal to full moon darkness. Wow. But around the horizon, so for us, we all, that you've got the, the sun is fairly high. It's blocked out by the moon. You can see the corona around it. But if you look around the horizon, you'll still see twilight like it is as uh, at oh. just after sunset. So you'll get to see stars up by the moon, uh, by the sun and moon, but you you'll be able to see twilight around the horizon. Around all the horizon. Yes. Very cool. So I'm sorry, could you tell me again about what time would that happen here in Colombia? Right. So the time is uh for darkness. Mm -hmm. So the the moon starts moving in the way about 11:45 a.m. and then it gets to dark time at 1:12 p.m. and that's um daylight savings time. Mm -hmm. And so basically 112 to 115, it will be dark. Mm. Wow. Uh, and then it'll st start to get lighter again. It'll get a lot lighter and then slowly the moon is moving off again. So it mm -hmm. takes about three hours total, um, but you don't, but you only get two and a half minutes of it being really dark. Mm -hmm. What's nice for us compared to other places in the country. So this, this eclipse, you can see it from a big band all the way across the country. Um, it starts in the Pacific, goes all the way across the country and goes out into the Atlantic. Um, and so it's hitting lots of time zones. For us, it hits at one twelve p.m. daylight savings, but that means that it's really 12-12, right? Because right. that's real time. Um, <laughs> and from an astronomer's point of view, noon is actually when the sun is at its highest point in the south, right? Mm -hmm. But we're really close to the center of the time zone. So, you know, for us, noon for an astronomer is about the same as noon. So that means that for the eclipse, it's really close to the sun being directly south and as high as it gets. So really it's hard to block it out. Yeah. You know, if you're standing next to a tall building to the south of you, you won't see it. But um, mm -hmm. it's actually gonna be at 184 degrees. So if 180 degrees is south, it's just a little bit west of that, but only a tiny bit. So it's basically south and 60 degrees up. So if you're looking at the horizon, you're going to have to turn your head through 60 degrees to see it. So that's pretty high. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is that, you know, you could be standing, you know, the wrong side of Jesse in the Francis Quadrangle and you wouldn't see it. Oh, bummer. But if you're in the Carnahan Quad, you'll have a great view. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically anywhere you can see south, you'll get a great view. That's and awesome. no matter where you are, like you would be... 
you would be encompassed in darkness even if you can't like actually see it though. Absolutely. Even if you don't get to go anywhere, even if you're driving along, it's going to get dark. Uh Mm -hmm. Um, And actually that's part of my job is getting people aware of this, not just because everybody should see it Uh because it's cool. Um, But but they should. But there are safety issues. Uh Can you imagine what it would be like if you didn't know this was coming and you were driving down I-70 and suddenly it gets dark? Yeah. That would be terrifying. Yes. Chaos. I would not want to be driving under those circumstances in case somebody around me. Yeah. Like, first of all, I wouldn't want to miss it. And second of all, I wouldn't want someone else Mm -hmm. to freak out around me. Which is easy to imagine Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. happening. Yeah. So my job is to make sure everybody knows about it so there's no people freaking out. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad Are you're there... here to tell people about it on our <laughs> yeah. show. We're contributing to the public good right there we now. Go. We didn't even realize it. Are they going to have like those PSA things on the sides of the road? That's what we're working on. Cool. Um, so, you know, it's not just Missouri. Um, I've been in touch with MoDOT and they said that they're on it, but we haven't discussed all of that. But that's exactly what we want. And and we want that, you know, the whole state gets, well, not the whole state, but a big swath across the state. Mm -hmm. So the path of totality for Missouri goes from, so if you think of it as being the path is about 80 miles wide, um, I'm going to talk about where the center goes. So the center goes through the St. Joseph Airport. Mm-hmm. It goes through Boonville. It goes south of Columbia, but north of Ashland, and actually through where Columbia Regional Airport is. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes, uh, and then it goes on out, and it's out through St. Genevieve. Mm-hmm. So if you think about that as being the center, and then it's going to be 40 miles either side of that. So um, for Kansas City, it actually goes, the edge is right in downtown. It's right where the convention center is. Wow. Mm-hmm. And for St. Louis, it's actually right where Forest Park is. It doesn't go over the science center. It doesn't go over the zoo. It doesn't mm-hmm. go over Washu. It goes over the far southeast corner of Forest Park and where I-64 is right there. And then it heads out from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's, but that's a lot of people in Missouri that get to see it. So we'd like to have, and not just on the interstates, also on some of the other main routes, a lot of those um, signs that say, hey, it's coming. Are you ready? Kind of thing. <laughs> or something like, the end is not near. Yes, <laughs> something like that. Yes. <laughs> so um, how, what is the width of, I guess, the band going across Missouri? So it's about 80 miles. 80 miles. So, yeah, and that's true for the whole country. So basically mm-hmm. you've got this path that goes all the way from Oregon to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. It It touches 14 states, some of them only just, like Iowa, it's about maybe a few miles into Iowa. It's mm-hmm. a tiny, tiny portion. Um, but it's 14 states that actually get to see totality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about 80 miles wide all the way across. Mm-hmm. And so when we were talking just before the show, you said that this is um, kind of a special one because usually multiple countries will see it. Right. So normally what happens when you have an eclipse, you can imagine that um, anytime you have an eclipse, typically the the shadow... So. Let me just explain what's going on here. You've got a shadow of the moon and it's hitting the earth and it's a circle, unsurprisingly. (laughs) Um, And it's usually somewhere between 60 and 100 miles across. But because the moon is moving and the earth is moving and the earth is spinning, Mm. that shadow is moving, right? So you can think of it as being like when a cloud moves, that shadow moves with the cloud, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of like that, only a lot bigger. And so it draws out a path. And so typically your path is of the order of 80 miles wide and about 3,000 miles long. So if you think about that scale, you'd normally expect it to hit more than one country. Right. The last one to hit U.S. soil at all actually hit Hawaii in 1991, but the tail end of it hit Mexico. Hmm. The one that hit in 79, which was the last one on the continental U.S., also went into Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, normally when we had, there was one in 1970, that one also hit the Caribbean and, and so on. Uh, the first one in Britain in my lifetime, which actually happened two months after I moved to Illinois. Oh, um, oh my God. But that one only hit one corner of actually the, the sticky out foot bit in the southwest mm. was the only place you saw totality in Britain. And then it went out through France and Germany. And so it went through a lot of countries. So one of the things that's a big deal is that this is one country. This is the only country that gets to see this eclipse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's the only eclipse since the U.S. has been a country that you've been able to do that. Wow, wow that's so. an interesting point. So, do you ex- are we go- can we expect to see a lot of I guess science tourists coming to the U.S. for this? Yes, I think we're going to get a lot of tourists from everywhere, and not just science tourists. I mean, mm-hmm. so for instance, you know, my mom she's wanted to see an uh-huh. eclipse forever, and you look at the paths of some of these things. So the one that happened, so there's an eclipse somewhere in the world about once a year. Mm-hmm. The one this year, you had to be in Indonesia or the middle of the Pacific. <laughs> um, actually, friends who are eclipse chasers, actually, they arranged for Alaska Airlines to have a flight from Anchorage to Hawaii take off 25 minutes late so they could intersect with 
the path of totality. <laughs> and so there's a great YouTube video of him going crazy. Um, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it, it's really good. And uh, But, you know, unless you're lucky enough to be able to figure that sort of thing out or you can get to somewhere like Indonesia, you're not going to get to see it. Um, the one before that, the one in 2015, uh, there was a good partial from Northern Europe, but the totality you had to be between Norway and the North Pole. Mm. So it was basically Svalbard oh, or the Faroe Islands. Yeah. I have some entertaining videos of my friends being chased by polar bears. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, they're hard to get to. And yeah. so, and even when they're not, there was one in the last decade or so where the path went basically from Brazil all the way across the Atlantic, across the middle of Africa and up into the Middle East, mm -hmm. right? And I'm looking at this map and I'm like, Mother, there isn't a single place on that map I am comfortable with you going on your own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so one of the things that I think is a big deal about this one is that in spite of gun issues, the U.S. is considered a fairly safe place for tourists. And for a lot of people, like if you're European, like most of my family, or if you're from other English-speaking countries, Australia and New Zealand, you don't need a visa. Mm -hmm. And so there's very little barrier to coming, whereas a lot of the other places, they're hard to get to. It's expensive when you get there. It's, you know, and so I think that that's one of the things that will drive tourism for this one. Hmm. I really love the phrase eclipse chasers. <laughs> Isn't yeah. it great? It is. <laughs> really cool. it, did anyone else here ever see the movie Twister about uh, tornado yes. yeah. chasers? I think we need a sequel. <laughs> just it's, as ridiculous, it I hope. wouldn't be quite as dramatic. With a team of, with a, just as in the original Twister, a team of bad guy eclipse chasers <laughs> who right. will somehow be... But the best thing about yeah. the bad guy um, Twister chasers is that the, the lead bad guy is Wesley from Princess Bride. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, we need an equivalently ridiculous bad guy. Yeah. I, we can we get to work on this now. Voldemort. We have a year. There we go. We have a year to make this happen. Just under a year. Actually, there's a few things like that that I'd love to see happen. So, you know, this is something that, apart from needing the eclipse glasses, there are, it's a very accessible phenomenon, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. You're going to have a hard time avoiding it. Mm -hmm. And so as a way to get people excited about space, about things that are going on and, and pulling people in, it's, it's a real opportunity. But there's all sorts of things that, you know, so apparently there is um, an old DC uh, comic character called Eclipso that was at one point a woman. I'm like, oh, we need to resurrect that. I can be Eclipso. Um, and there's an, there, there's a few others like Doctor Eclipse in some other uh, uni, you know, comic universe. And so I'd like to see us have like a whole bunch of crazy things like new comic book characters and things like that based on the Eclipse. So this could be like a Comic Con slash scientific conference exactly. slash giant party. That sounds really great. Yeah, and it's for everybody. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, I remember learning about eclipses when I was maybe five, mm -hmm. six, and wanting to see a total eclipse. Yeah. So certainly. this is perfect I opportunity. I certainly remember making the pinhole glasses yeah. and uh -huh. so on, although I can't remember using them correctly, so I suspect <laughs> I was very young. Um, but, yeah, well, and that's the other thing is that, that so here in Colombia, the Colombia Public Schools will be in session. They're actually in session a few days before it happens. So it's it's August 21st, uh -huh. 2017. And um, the school district here has already bought the eclipse classes and they're awesome. going to be training the teachers. And I'm talking to the Science Teachers of Missouri conference um, in October. And this will be not only a great opportunity, but there will actually be materials to make this work. Um, and for us at MU, it's our first day of classes. So that's <laughs> oh, going to be nice. an entertaining Ooh. first day of classes. <laughs> uh -huh. So um, where will you be watching the eclipse? So, Or do you not want to tell us? Well, no, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. So, so there's a few different things here. Um, I will be wherever I need to be. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like with pregnancy. If you plan around it, you're likely to be disappointed. As long as I don't miss the actual event, which is hard when you're pregnant, but, you know, <laughs> as, long as, as long as I don't miss the event, mm -hmm. I'm pretty happy with wherever I'm going to be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'm lucky, I'll be somewhere around people I like watching it. If I'm unlucky, I'll be somewhere around people I don't like watching it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'll be watching it somewhere. Us too, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very for sure, cool. yeah. We will, this if we're exciting. not here still. No, no I, I'm... I'm already thinking, like, how can I get back yeah. somewhere That's it. So here. for everybody who's graduating this year, you have to figure out how do you get back just for one day. Uh -huh. Just for one just day. Just that one and day. And what day of the week is it? It's a Monday. Oh, 
That's rough. And it's and it's going to be tricky. So, you know, one of the things is that because it's the first day of classes, you're going to have a lot of people coming to town to bring their kids back to town or whatever. Uh-huh. So there will be issues with hotels. I can tell you now that, so of the, of the places on the path, the one that is already full is Wyoming. Wow. Hmm. But you can no longer book, book <laughs> in the Grand Tetons, in Jackson, in Casper. Wyoming is essentially full. And I'm not just talking hotels. This yeah. is also campsites. The state, <laughs> oh, the wow. state is packed. Yeah, the state, well, and, and I have some, I actually, you know, with my national hat on, I have some concerns about this because um, if you're the sort of person who likes to do outdoor stuff, you, you may well know that you can camp on public land. So BLM land, um, you can camp on for free um, as long as you're 10 feet off the road. Okay. Oh. And so if you, so we always carry a big water bot with us because that's, there's no facilities. Mm-hmm. There's just, you know, so if you don't have water, it's not a great thing to do. And, you know, we go camping up in Wyoming quite a bit, so we're familiar with this. But it's bear country. And oh, I just yeah. have visions of there being people who don't really understand camping in bear country, setting up campsites on BLM land where they don't have to pay for it, but nobody's booked it yet. And so there's lots of little things like that that I'm like, okay, that could go horribly wrong. <laughs> right. Well, it's, oh, inter- it's interesting you're getting thinking this far into it that many of us are just now re- thinking about well we have to actually be aware there's an eclipse but you've actually gone through the details and, right uh, well so way, some so. of this you really have to think ahead so l- let me give you an example of right um i'm predicting that we'll have four hundred thousand visitors to columbia oh wow. awesome that's and not a small number no, no it's not it's quadrupling our population yes. and and my number came from a number of different um Thing. We don't have a precedent for this. We don't. The last time there was a, an eclipse on U.S. soil was the one in Hawaii, and Hawaii doesn't count because it's expensive to get to. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first one that's really a social media event. This is the first one that... So I said that, you know, we're going to have tourists come from abroad. The eclipse that happened in 1991, where the tail end hit Baja, Mexico, the Mexicans closed the border... Uh, close to San Diego because they were flooded with people. They couldn't handle it. And if you didn't have a reservation for a hotel, they would not let you cross the border. Mm -hmm. Now, that was 1991. That's pre-internet. That's Now we have a path where there are 350 million people who don't have to cross a border to get to us. Yes. There is nothing to stop 350 million people traveling to the path of the eclipse. And then if you look at, okay, where are their amenities? As you, you know, apart from like the coast of Oregon, um, the west part of the eclipse path is very low density population. Mm-hmm. So Wyoming's great, it's lovely, but there's not much there in terms of facilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some touristy stuff, but um, then Nebraska, well, it's all small towns. Then you get into Missouri and you've got a couple of decent sized airports and a lot of hotels and things. Then you head out into uh, Illinois. They're pretty well prepared, but they're off the beaten path. There's no interstates to where it is. Oh, wow. And then as you head out, South Carolina is in trouble because yeah. that's so close to the big population density uh-huh. that even though the predictions for weather are worse there, mm-hmm. that's going to be the easiest place to get to. But if people are going to fly, St. Louis is easy to get to from anywhere. Yeah. So you know, so there's all these things that are, we've kind of gathered information, thinking about who, how many people come to town for homecoming, mm-hmm. how many people come to town for all of those sorts of you know, true, false, roots and blues, all those things. And that's where that number comes from. But if you think about that, we're going to have to have a lot of... Airbnb. We're going to have to, uh, all the hotels are going to be full. We have to be ready for this. And we're going to have to have emergency services ready dealing with the roads. When we have a football game, we have one corner of the campus that gets really, really busy. Mm -hmm. And we have help from MUPD and Columbia PD and the Boone County Sheriff's Department and the State Highway Patrol. Mm -hmm. Well, now there's this big swath across the state. So State Highway Patrol is going to be kind of busy. Yeah. Um, the whole of Boone County gets to see the eclipse. So Boone County Sheriff's probably going to be busy. The whole of Columbia gets to see it. So CPD is not going to help it. So MUPD is stuck with the whole of campus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now, you, so I think that this idea of planning ahead becomes really important. I think we need to do things like any country that's hosted an Olympics tends to have volunteer stewards and think that we yes. need to be training people ready for this. Hmm. Um, and then with the need for the glasses, we are selling glasses through the bookstore if you would like to buy them. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we won't have enough. There's going to be, you know, we're going to need other people to buy them. You can get them branded with your own logos and things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also has to be done ahead of time. So mm-hmm. it's, I'm actually starting to get into panic mode that we're not starting early enough. Uh-huh. So, Wow. The other thing about homecoming is people like me avoid campus. 
you know, this is something where nobody's going to be avoiding it at all. You can't avoid the sun. No. No. (laughs) Um, But the plus side is that as long as you can see south, then you'll be able to see it. So if you're stood on Broadway and you're on the north side of Broadway, you'll be able to see it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that we're going to do is try to have maps both of campus and the city that basically mark out really great spots. And there'll be some events, but actually from a practical point of view, having everybody distributed. And this is why having the schools in session is important because that automatically distributes people. Uh And hopefully some parents will want to go do like help us chaperones and things like that. So we want to have as many little events as possible so you can spread everybody out so that you don't have everybody converging in one spot. Uh So um, great. (laughs) <laughs> the bears don't know that it's an eclipse, do they? <laughs> sorry. Uh, any, I'm sorry. You know, no, no, you're fine. I was going to say that um, earlier when we spoke um, before the show, you had mentioned that some of the events that you're getting going to be putting out to get ready for the eclipse, one of them is a webinar series that's going to come out. Right. So one of the things that we're going to do, and this is working with the National Solar Observatory. So like I said, I'm, I'm co-chairing a task force, which is uh, – put together by the American Astronomical Society, which is our big professional body. Uh, and we're working with the National Solar Observatory, and this will be on a set of, could be as many as 12, it might be as few as 10, but it's webinars on solar science, on eclipses, on all sorts of things. It'll be approximately monthly. We're still working out the details. And it's really aimed at the sort of people who would like to be doing uh, using this for curriculum materials, whether mm-hmm. it's in formal education or thinking about like after school programs or, you know, boys and girls clubs, those sorts of things, um, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, whatever. It's really aimed at the sort of leaders of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the, the webinar series will be. Um, aimed at giving people hands-on activities to use as well as giving them the content knowledge they need to take this into their learning space. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And that'll be a really great way for people who do have groups or, right. or not. Exactly. I mean, well, and, yeah. and one of the things is, I mean, for the webinars, it's it's easy for people to join. But there'll also be, um, so the American, sorry, the Astronomical Society of the Pacific, which is another uh, professional body, but really aims at astronomy's interface with the public. It's much more mm-hmm. about communication. Um, their annual meeting this year is in December at the Moonrise Hotel, obviously, <laughs> uh, in St. Louis. And this is the national meeting, but this is aimed at um, the outreach for the eclipse. And this is at all levels, whether you're talking about um, formal education, informal, you know, mm. whatever you want to do. Um, so there will be an opportunity to go and do that, but that one will cost money. Gotcha. Um, however, if there are people that are doing... Um, uh, you know, sort of outreach to specific underrepresented groups, there will be money available to help people attend that meeting. Mm. Oh, so that, so that's a kind of in-person program mm-hmm. that will complement the webinar series. But the webinar series is free, so everybody mm. can do that. Fantastic. Okay, well, we're going to go on a short break, and then we'll be back with some more um, Eclipse news. <laughs> Okay, welcome back to KCOU 88.1 Columbia. We're here with Dr. Angela Speck talking about the total eclipse of the heart. (laughs) No, of the sun. sun. (laughs) This is less catchy, but more fascinating. It might be more catchy. (laughs) Yeah. I hope it's more catchy. Most people who see total eclipses are so taken with them that they want to see another one. Oh, Mm. that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I I totally believe it. Yeah, sure. We're not even seeing it, and I'm... Totally ready for it to happen. (laughs) Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the science. So I guess my first question is, how do we know exactly when and where it's going to be? Okay, so if we we just think about what's going on, it's simply the motion of the Earth Mm -hmm. and the moon and the sun. And we know those pretty well. And so it's, you know, I wouldn't say it was easy math, but it's just geometry. It's just lining them up. And so once you start putting that together, you know, if you think about building an orrery, which is, you know, one of those little models of everything mm-hmm. going around, it's really not that hard to figure it out. And so, um, you know, and we do it with computers now, but, you know, the Mayans did it, the Egyptians did it, you know, lots of people did it back in history um, because it's a, ver- it's a regular cycle. It takes a long time to repeat so because, you know, there's a lot of li- different things going on. You know, for instance, the, the uh, time between new moons or full moons is 29 and a half days. So mm-hmm. think about what it takes for it to ke- get back to where it started. You get some, you know, 
that, that's not a nice number, right? Uh -huh. Right. Um, and then you think about the timing in terms of the axis of the Earth being tilted and what that means for where it's going to occur. And then there's a little bit of give with the Sun because the Sun actually wobbles a little. This is actually how we detect planets around other stars, or one of the ways we detect them is that mostly Jupiter, but all the planets have a pull on the Sun, so it doesn't stay quite stationary. But we've got mm -hmm. a pretty good track of what that's doing. So as long as you've got everything in place, mm -hmm. you can... you. It's really not that hard. I have an odd question related to that. So if they've known about this forever and ever, um, is the idea that, you know, the Earth is the center of the universe and that the sun and everything was rotating around, what that that they used to believe, did, did they account for this? So if you actually go back in the historical um, look at this, one of the reasons that Copernicus was not accepted is that he chose to make the orbit circular. Uh -huh. And so compared uh -huh. to the... So there was a model for how everything moved and it accounted for all the weird motions like retrograde motion, which is where we overtake a planet, uh -huh. or how Mercury and Venus look as they're going kind of back behind the sun. They look like they're going the wrong way. Okay. Um, that was all accounted for in Ptolemy's model where you know everything was in circles, but you had ways of doing it. Um, and so when compared to what you got from Copernicus's model, it wasn't any worse hmm. because Copernicus made them circular and orbits aren't circular. Mm -hmm. they're elliptical. Uh -huh. And once you get the proper ellipses in place, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but so, it, you know, it, it's still possible to model it. So a, another example of this is um, we know that the Earth isn't the center of the universe, but if you want to model the sky so that you can understand where things are, like, you know, you've got the, the software on your phone that lets you hold it up and tell you what's up in the air, uh -huh. yes. it's way simpler to model it as a globe on the sky uh -huh. than mm -hmm. it is to model the reality. Yeah, yeah. Right. So sometimes, even though it's wrong, it can give you the right answers. Sure. So it, it's a it's a valid model for determining timing, or a valid model for mm -hmm. determining positions, even if it's not a valid model for what's really going on. Sure. So as long as what you're observing is always from the Earth, exactly, you'll, you'll convince yourself that that's what's right. That's what's so right. so my phone app won't be any good when I go to Alpha Centauri. As we <laughs> talked about last week. So. Well, unless somebody's come up with something that lets it, you know, adjust itself to that. Right. So there was a nice little piece done about what the sky would look like from Proxima Centauri. Really? Oh, cool. Yeah. That will be Googled immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'm getting away from the eclipse, but if you could, uh, do you, is there, do we know why the galaxy is like flat why aren't things well, moving it, in 3D okay so motion? it's not flat but yeah i mean mm -hmm. it's the same with the solar system so you can think of it as being when you've got um something that starts out as kind of a big blobby globe shape mm -hmm. um but it's spinning Mm -hmm. it will tend to become disc-shaped. So if you think about how you make a pizza base properly, you start with something that's globe-shaped and you spin it and it becomes disc-shaped. Oh, yeah. um, so it's basically that you know, gravity is acting on everything, but if you've got an axis and it's spinning, the centrifugal force is pushing out in one direction, and so you end up with that shape. That makes sense. Okay. So you get a lot of discs. Oh, I've always wondered that and just... Never spent the time to look it up, so I'm <laughs> glad you're here to solve these questions. Well, in the case of the galaxy, it gets even weirder because the galaxy is actually spherical, mm -hmm. but it's the it's bright versus dark matter that's an issue. Oh. So the bright matter is distributed in a disk, and there's some stuff above, but mostly in a disk. Uh, but the overall matter is 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 distributed spherically. Interesting. Oh. Okay, yeah, we can go back to okay, the Okay, sure. <laughs> so I, I have an eclipse question. Okay. So what happens in terms of air temperature and stuff like that? So if we're going to get cold, yeah, I assume. So you can think of it as being, I mean, it's only two minutes. So exactly how much you feel will depend on where you are, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're up in eastern Oregon, um, it's desert. It will cool faster just because the amount of moisture in the air is, is yep. lower. Here mm -hmm. we have so much moisture in the air, the temperature change takes longer so it, you know you, you have a buffer mm -hmm. um but if you think about you know you're out in bright sunlight and then a cloud comes in the way it feels cooler mm -hmm, right? right that's the kind of thing that you're going to feel um but it also gets dark much darker than when a cloud co covers the sun right yeah. so you have animals and plants that will react so if you've got birds that do night song they will start singing uh -huh. and oh, if you wow. and, and dogs will bark and animals that go to sleep will go to sleep you oh. know cows will go back to the barn all that sort of thing. <laughs> Flow flowers that close up at night will close up. Cool. Um, so there's a lot of ways of kind of connecting, making that connection between the sun and ecology and, and how animal and plant life work. 
Um, so, you know, it's kind of a, a cool thing to be thinking about observing what's going on around you in those two minutes. Uh-huh. So it'll be an accidental science experiment, whether exactly. we want it to be or not. Yeah. I, yeah. I will expect my cat to be awake. <laughs> well, you see, I own a hedgehog, which is a nocturnal beastie. Mm -hmm. um, so I haven't, but it depends on where I am as to whether I bring her out to experience uh -huh. the eclipse. <laughs> That's funny. So, what are some um, non accidental science experiments that are going to be well, going so on? They fall into two categories. Um, one is actually, so last year was the 100th anniversary of uh, general relativity. Right. And so that was, you know, 1915, Einstein published general relativity. 1919 was the first test of it during a solar eclipse. Oh, wow. uh, and basically you have this idea that light will be affected by masses, that because um, a massive object affects the shape of space, that light is essentially attracted to massive bo bodies. Mm -hmm. um, and so what you get is a kind of lensing effect as light comes past the sun it will get bent. Normally, we don't get to look at that. Normally, when we're looking at stars, we're looking in the opposite direction to the sun. Mm -hmm. And so you don't, they're not displaced. But if you're looking in the direction of the sun, the light's going to be bent. So it's kind of like when you look into water. If you look at a glass of water, you can see the straws bent. But if you look down, it just looks kind of foreshortened. Mm -hmm. But it's the same sort of um, effect that you get, that the star will appear to be in the wrong place because the light gets bent around the sun. Now, that's already been proven. But, you know, that was 1919, and it was done in, you know, a single image that you could take on a photographic plate <sighs> in a couple of minutes. Wow. Well, now we're at this place where we can actually take images all the way along the path. It takes, from Oregon to South Carolina, the longest duration that you get darkness anywhere is actually just to the east of us, and it's 2 minutes and 41 seconds. But... When we take images now, we don't do photographic plates. We do um, digital. So it's it's like the cameras in your phone or whatever. Um, but you can actually add them together. And so what you can do is take images all the way along. And as long as you've got something that allows you to register them so that they're lined up properly, you can then stack them. And it means that you can see things much, much fainter. So combining the much, much better technology that we have now with that basically 90-minute exposure time that you can get by adding them all together, we'll be able to see much fainter stars than have been seen before. So although we're not proving something new, we're testing kind of the details of how is light bending, what, are, you know, what, dif what difference does it make how close that light comes to the edge of the sun. Mm -hmm. And so we, that's one of the big experiments that um, we can do along the path. But then the other thing is that um, the corona, the big extended atmosphere, we can see that and we can only see that. It's always there, always. But we can only see it during the eclipse. And unless you can block out the sun, it's very hard to, to take in anything, any data on it. And it's controlled by the magnetic field of... Uh, so it's, it's very hot. It's, an, a, it's about a million degrees Kelvin. It's got lots of um, ultraviolet and X-rays, which we can't detect from the ground because it doesn't get through the atmosphere. But there are lots of... Um, ions, so you know you've got an ion atom that's lost a bunch of electrons, and so it will give you certain colors of light. So we can take both images in different colors and do that all the way along the path. We can also do spectroscopy, that is to say, you know, passing it through a prism type of instrument to mm -hmm. split the color, colors up, so you can see what different colors you've got at each location. Um, and even just looking at it in white light, so all the light mixed up, you'll see it swirl. So you can think about mm. it that. The sun is kind of like a bar magnet, but not exactly, because instead of being a solid, it's a big ball of gas. Mm -hmm. And so it's swirlier than a bar magnet. <laughs> but if, you, if you've ever done the thing where you throw the iron filings on the bar magnet and you can see where the field lines go, yes. well, that's what you're seeing in the corona. But because this is a big swirling ball of gas, and that ball of gas rotates differentially, that is to say that the equator goes around faster than the poles, it gets all messy. Mm -hmm. And so you get all this swirling. So we can we can get a, basically a time-lapse movie of the swirls, but that tells us something about the magnetic field. Yeah. It tells us about what's going on there. And it's from the corona that the sun sometimes throws things as. Uh -huh. uh, so we get what's called a um, coronal mass ejection. Mm -hmm. And that when those particles, and it's mostly protons, so hydrogen without electrons added, um, and alpha particles, which is heliums without the electrons. But when they hit the Earth, they can do damage. They can damage electrical systems. They give us lots of pretty aurora. Um, but we don't really understand the mechanisms. And so being able to study it 
is really important. So being able to get images in different colors and spectra and following how it changes over time, this is a, an opportunity to do this in a way that we haven't been able to do because we haven't had so much continuous observation available. It also seems like, you know, the technology has to line up. Like you were saying, in 1919, photographs were completely different. Right. Um, and there's some other things, like people are like, well, why don't you just go above the atmosphere? Well, we can do that. But um, one of the things that people don't realize is that it's actually really hard to make um, a spectrometer that is, you're splitting up the light. So if you think about this as you've got a prism and you're splitting up the light, the further away you move your white piece of paper to see where the colors land, the more spread out they are, right? Mm -hmm. And if you want to see all the details, you have to get the light spread out more and more and more. Yeah. So you want to have your piece of paper a long way away and still get lots of light through because otherwise it gets too faint, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But it means that sometimes there are instruments that you don't want to put in space because they're going to be big and heavy. Right. And so you're going to do them from the ground. You can do different things from space. You can look at the X-ray stuff and the ultraviolet stuff that doesn't get through the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. But we can do experiments from the ground that we could never do otherwise. That kind of answers one of the questions that I was thinking of, which seems absurdly silly. But like, you know, if the point is to block out the sun, like, couldn't I just get a really good dark umbrella and do that but the point is that this is so far away that it spreads out the light waves like that's part of it at least well kind of i mean it there is actually right now dkist which is the new solar telescope that's being built on maui mm -hmm. um it's named for uh, daniel k inoue the who was the senator or congressman for hawaii um but it's a new solar telescope that's being built and they will have a coronagraph mm. so that will actually allow them to do something like that okay um but it's 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 still hard to do and it's still something where you get a bit of leakage <laughs> let's say <laughs> whereas with the moon so far away from us we don't get quite so much of that you can think of it as being you know around the edges there's a little bit that gets scattered yeah and when it's so far away from us you don't get that yeah problem. and thank goodness like the moon doesn't have an atmosphere or anything right because that would mess it up even more if it did absolutely so and in fact you see that when you have a lunar eclipse so if you've ever watched a lunar eclipse it looks red when it gets to being uh -huh. fully eclipsed and yes. what's happening is that the light from the sun is passing through the um, edges of the earth so at each side and it's actually where you have sunrise and sunset uh -huh. so you're actually seeing the light of every sunrise and every sunset in that moment that is then being bent so the atmosphere bends it just like a prism does uh -huh. so the blue light just disappears but the red light is bent and hits the moon and bounces back to wow. us so that atmosphere is what makes the moon go red i can't so believe i never knew that <laughs> that's really cool <laughs> it makes so much sense just collecting all the sunsets i'm jealous that i get to actually be paid to know this yeah. stuff there's so many light bulbs going off in so, many, so many of our heads right now well we've talked about spectroscopy before on the radio show because i use spectroscopy to look at really small things so it's also Really great that you use it to look at really big things, too. Well, we're looking at really small things inside really big things. That's so, good. yeah, so if you think about you've got this gas, and like I said, the gas is kind of like what you get in, in a um, fluorescent tube. Mm -hmm. It's a gas that's being heated by the sun, um, but it's a gas nonetheless. But if you can break down the light, you can actually determine not only what is in the gas, so in the regular... Uh, fluorescent tubes it's mercury right mm -hmm. but we can actually work out what's in there but we can also work out what the ionization state is that is how many electrons has it lost because every time you lose an electron it changes the color subtly mm -hmm. um you know so for people who actually care about um if if you think about electrons as having different places they can be inside an atom and they're very specific places they can be it depends on the magnetic on the electric field of the atom. Mm -hmm. If you remove an electron, you change the electric field, mm -hmm. so it does change the colors. So you can actually distinguish not only what element you've got, but how many electrons it's missing, mm -hmm. and that gives us a lot of information on what's going on in that corona. So, um, are you expecting just a flood of scientific papers come? late 2017, 2018. Is this something that like you as an independent researcher will be able to publish on or is this like a big collaborative so thing? I can tell you now that in general, science has gone much more uh, and astronomy in particular has gone much more towards the big collaborations. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't publish a single uh, paper, single author paper until I'd already made full professor. Oh, wow. Um, it's it, it's very normal now to and some of these collaborations are huge yeah like 60 70 authors um what i expect to see is actually the solar physicists will get a flood but that's not my research area okay so i personally won't get research papers out of this although i may get some interesting kind of education-based papers mm -hmm. oh. so uh it's, 
to get expand on that a little more is are they so large because you require that much uh, collaboration amongst groups or is it kind of the state of funding? Um, so a little bit of both, but mm -hmm. the way you can think about it is we've got to the point where instruments are so complicated that you will have like an instrument team that's working on the spectrometer that knows each little bit of it very, mm -hmm. very well. And, you know, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to write a paper if you need to get into the details of how the instrument works mm -hmm. without those people. And at least initially, often when you've got a new instrument, all the instrument people will be on the papers yeah. because you're, you're proving the sense. use of this yeah. thing. Um, and then you've got, you know, depending on what you're doing, you've got a lot going on. So you may have a big collaboration where the first two authors do the majority of the work on the paper. Everybody else contributes something mm -hmm. um, and deserves recognition, but it'll be like the lead author is the one who really directs it. Mm -hmm. And that'll move around depending on the emphasis of that particular paper. Sure. So you can imagine there might be a different person working on imaging of the corona versus spectroscopy of the corona. Mm -hmm. I can kind of, I, I understand that like a one author paper holds a certain weight to it, but I, I love that the science is moving towards collaboration. Oh, yeah. And it, it just makes a much more friendly field yeah. when you're not worried about competing. Well, and I think that, you know, there are still people who haven't quite got over it yet, but I, mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, you don't have to be an expert in everything. Yeah. You can't be an expert in everything. It's And, and so much now, the, you know, historically, there were lots of big science questions that we didn't know the answer to that you could do on your own. But we've got to the point where... Even though the details are really important, it's the expertise you need is kind of broader. So, uh -huh. like for what I study, um, which is Stardust, you have to have understanding of the optical properties of solids and mineralogy and astronomy, and it's really hard to develop all of that. Yeah. And so those collaborations become really important, uh, and that's how you you know make progress. So yeah, yeah it's. Uh, I love, well, I'm a people person, so I love collaborating <laughs> with people. I think the average physicist finds it much harder. <laughs> um, so I, I get, I have this image in my head of these people bringing their spectrometers into Columbia and like driving away at night, but I'm, I'm guessing that's not really how it works. So um, some pe a lot of people have them their uh, materials so that they're fairly portable. Let's mm -hmm. put it that way. Um, I've had people come and visit, like, the roof of the observatory to see if that's good. Um, there are reasons why you might not want to do it there. For instance, you know, you know what it's like on a hot day on a road where you get the heating effect of the road and you get really bad... Um, visual abilities because you get that heating effect and it mm -hmm. looks like an yeah, oasis. It looks yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, finding another location. Um, and people are still deciding. You know, some people have, you know, they've got a plan, but they don't know exactly where they're going to be yet. Um, but there will be people coming and, you know, and there's one experiment where it's 60 plus um, instruments that are exactly the same all the way along the path so that we get images all the way along the That's path. That's awesome. And we will almost certainly have one of those. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on making sure we can use a location that won't be full of people, but yeah. is not tarmac or, you know, asphalt yeah. or right. whatever. Um, I'm thinking the golf course. Um, oh, yeah. Just oh, yeah. because yeah, we don't want spot. people all over the golf course because that yeah. would mess it up. Yeah. But that's grass, and so you don't get that same yeah. effect. Mm -hmm. uh, you had mentioned that we can stack all these images together as long as you have a point of reference to line everything up to. Mm -hmm. But you're looking at the sky. So what do you use as a point of reference other than... The sun or the moon, which so, are both. Um, there will be stars that you can see. Okay. Right. So the point is that you'll you'll match them up using usually. Sometimes there'll be a little bit of rotation that happens. So okay. having two stars is good. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, but uh, you know, Leo will be behind the sun. So you think about. Um, you don't think about the fact that there are stars behind the sun, but yeah. there are. If we didn't have an atmosphere, you'd see them. Mm. Um, and so actually the constellation that will be right behind the sun will be Leo. And Regulus is a pretty bright, bright star in Leo. And so we'll be able to use that for one of our anchor points. Okay. And, and we do this all the time. I mean, you know, some images, especially nebulae, you can't take the whole thing in one shot. Yeah. You have to do like a mosaic type of thing. And then you have to have things that you use to match them up. And if you don't have stars in your image, that's really hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wonder wow. if there's some uh, like citizen science crowdsource oh, yeah. science project. So at the the, um, the the sixty sites across that's a that is called Citizen Kate, and it is meant oh. to be um, citizen science. That's awesome. The people actually running the experiment here and in Kansas City are the Astronomical Society of Kansas City, but that's an amateur group. 
cool. it's not professionals. That is awesome. Uh, and likewise, the Carbondale people, it's it's the amateur group. It's not it's not people at SIU. Oh so. wow, That's I want to so do exciting. it. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to do it, I can pull you in. Honestly, anybody who wants to get involved, whether it's in the science or just in telling people about this, I'll take all the help I can get. <laughs> All right. Well, in our last couple of minutes, is there any last minute things you want us to know? Um, well, I hope that anybody who heard this will be going around telling everybody just how excited they are mm -hmm. about this. Um, this really is going to be a big deal. But I want to go back to something we talked about earlier, which was some of the myths. So I talked about how um, the corona is really hot. It's a million Kelvin, so two million Fahrenheit, more or less. And it's it does give off x-rays and UV and that you can find in textbooks that you shouldn't look at this, that it's dangerous. At the time of the 79 eclipse, there were children in Washington state hiding under desks in rooms with blackout curtains. Wow. Oh, wow. Even now, I, I did a, uh, a session at the Daniel Boone Library, the main library downtown, um, about the eclipse and someone who's homeschooling had found this in a textbook that it was dangerous to look at. Mm -hmm. It's the misinformation is out there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really would like to find ways to make sure that we've countered that. We've already got the American Academy of Ophthalmologists, and that's a really hard <laughs> word to say, um, on board. And we will have safety advice that will be published soon that's basically endorsed by NASA and the National Science Foundation and the Astronomical Society and, and the ophthalmologists. And um, But it's really getting people, A, excited, and B, to know, A, yes, it is dangerous to look at the sun, but not more dangerous than usual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I think, I, but you can understand where it comes from. You know, nobody ever sees the corona because it's only a millionth of the brightness of the main part of the sun. Mm -hmm. And so it's just too faint. You don't have the dynamic range. Your eyes can't see something that faint next to something that bright. Right. Uh, and in fact, it just wouldn't be seen very easily next to um, the atmosphere with all that scatter. So now you've blocked it out and you can see it, but it's always there. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of, you know, getting people to understand that the moon moving up between us and the sun does not make the sun more dangerous. Mm -hmm. And it, that sounds like, oh, only stupid people think that. But it's, you can understand where this comes from. It's in textbooks and people are telling you, you shouldn't do this. And this material that we use to make the glasses is a mylar. It's a fairly new material. Mm -hmm. wasn't around for the 79 eclipse. Mm -hmm. um, so people are very kind of, oh, do I trust this? Uh, and it's like, well, we have an international standard for it. So it's really just getting people to know that it's safe, but they still need to be careful. Awesome. All right. Well, I want to say thank you, Dr. Speck. Um, and when that safety material is available, we can always put it on the Big Electron Facebook or Excellent. have a link to it. Okay. Well, thank you again, Dr. Speck, <laughs> for joining us on the Big Electron. This has been great. Yeah, this has been really great. And this so we fun. have... How many days? 300? 344. Okay. 344 we'll days. And, yeah. uh, and I will be doing the um, uh, the Science Cafe in October. Um, at Broadway Brewery, if you're interested, at 6 p.m. All right. Well, have a happy Sunday, and thanks for joining us on The Big Electron.